Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that has had to finally face the facts this week. When presented with the facts, you have to face them. And Sharon and I have finally realized that Sean is the sun and we are just pieces of rock that orbit around him. Satellites. (laughs) Yes, Sean is the star of the show. We are beginning to realize that. My name is Tosin. I am one of the rocks that orbits the star, the son of Sean Harris. (laughs) And I am the nominally the host. I guess I just pressed the buttons around here. Um, (laughs) Yes, and joining me as always on the Isle of Wight is the other rock, my fellow rock that orbits the sun, the son that is Sean Harris. And that is Sharon Bolland. Hi, Sharon. Hello. Yes. And now we say this because we realize that on this podcast, there's usually three of us. There's myself, there's Sharon, there's Sean. Sean hasn't been on the show for a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, we have started getting fan mail. So. (laughs) Where's Sean gone? Exactly. He's traveling. Exactly. So. Okay. oh, Oh, sorry about that. That was a video from Sean, but. This is, we go everything from, what happened to the other guy, Sean, in your podcast? I noticed he's been missing for a few episodes. And um, let's see. And then there's another one that says, oh, where's Sean living it up in Thailand? What? What's he doing over there? Like getting possessive over Sean. Like how dare he go to Thailand when we need him on the podcast? And Sean and I just realized, okay, cool. Well, yeah, we never get any, port, any fat mail that says no anything. Says, about... We don't yes. go anywhere. But no one says when we are away a week. Yeah. No, they don't no. care about us. No, they don't care about us. Sean disappears for a couple of weeks and all of a sudden the, the, there's crowds out with pitchforks asking us why. Um, why are we, we even... We do bo- miss the fact that sometimes I look at the cinema and think, oh, well, that'd be a Sean, 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 Sean. I might better squeeze one in. And now I think, oh, I'm going to have to do a bit more of that lifting. <laughs> oh, so you're saying that you two are actually making your own fan mail to Sean? You're like, oh, yeah, I miss Sean. Oh, he sees all the rubbish I don't want to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, so... anything this week, so I know he'll have seen five. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but um, if you follow us on any of our social media platforms, um, on particularly, well, I think on Facebook and on Twitter, we have put up, a, we have proof of life. We have had contact. So for all of you asking, where is Sean? We have the answer. And the answer is in a pool. In a pool in Thailand, doing his film reviews from a pool in Thailand. Because that's just what you do if your name is Sean Harris. That's just the way you roll. While the rest of us are here in, you know, d- d- well, the dre- dreary, rainy Midlands and the less dreary, rainy Isle of Wight. But- it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's been a frosty Isle of Wight this week. It's, yeah, but, but oh, because I was actually on the island yesterday. Yeah. Glorious sunshine. Glorious sunshine, cold. This beach perfect. Sunshine. You know what I even did today? Yeah. My grass. Oh my god! You you did stuff with grass. I actually cut our grass. I got my lawnmower out and I cut the front grass because I got tired of seeing this tufty waving sea of grass. <laughs> I don't like to see any movement in my grass. If it's got so long enough that it's moving, it's too long. Yeah, so this I is not. Yeah, this is a Ridley Scott film. I'm just gonna do it. It's January. <laughs> Don't care. Cut the grass. Yep. Yeah. It's like you know. That's it. It's not a Ridley Scott film. We do not have like you know, um, like what's his name, Russell Crowe, walking through Elysium. Therefore, we do not need wavy grass. That's that is my take on it. That's my take on it. 
All right. Uh, so we will carry on because for those of you who are wondering if this is the if this happens to be the first show you've ever listened to, so what do we do on this show? Network Cinema. Although I've been thinking, maybe it's like you know. The, the central question, maybe we should change the name, is just like, should I stay at home or go to the cinema? Should <laughs> I stay or should I go now? Should, should I? Ooh, not bad, not bad. That might be a copyright issue. But <laughs> but what we do is that each week we go to the cinema and we watch a couple of things. We stay at home and watch a couple of things and we try and figure out where our money was better spent this week. Who is winning the battle for our eyeballs? Getting up for bums and going into a multiplex or staying at home and I... Oh, and I'm only stealing this from the Empire podcast because I heard it and I thought it was actually a very, very good word. Or staying at home on our sofa plex to watch things on, on TV. Yeah, I know. I, I, quite, I, I was like, uh, that, this is one of the reasons why I don't listen to the Empire podcast that much anymore. Because I just feel like I'm just going to steal stuff. And it's like multiplex, sofa plex. And I was like, damn, that's good. <laughs> so we figure out which where was our money better spent this week which one did we rather do so this week Sharon do we like to, we'd like to just what it is that you saw I went to the cinema and saw a, an in, a curiously named film called Licorice Pizza yes. which doesn't make you, you go oh I don't know yeah. if I fancy that but Licorice Pizza is what I saw that's a Paul you know Paul Thomas Anderson film Yes. Yes. So that was one of the films that I was like, "Ooh, let me try and find it," and I couldn't find it anywhere. I had to sort of get on a train, travel for half an hour, and then I might be able to find the film. But, 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 um, but uh, no, that, but I, I didn't get to see that. Uh, okay, at cinema this week, I saw Scream because it was the only thing available. It was the only thing available, and I'll talk about why I say that with such <laughs> oh, why in my voice. When I get to the review bit. How about home? What did you see at home? I saw, I finally caught up with, it's been out a little while now, but I saw The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, it's just the, the rhyme in there. The Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever read the books, The Wheel of Time? No, I haven't. All right. Okay. Okay, cool. Good stuff. And I at home, I was on BBC iPlayer and I saw The Tourist. Oh, Jamie so, Dornan. Oh. Yes, Jamie Dornan. Jamie Dornan in The Tourist. So let us, because, oh, I think there's, the last couple of weeks, right, whenever, when it's just been the two of us, I've always tried to go with the big release of the week. And it makes me think that my tastes might be a bit more populist than yours, because I always end up going first because I'm always like, oh, I saw the big, big release of the week. And you saw the more interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> the more interesting, possibly art housey one. So... <laughs> Um, yes, but before we go into our reviews, before we go into our reviews, every time somebody sort of gets back in touch with us and gives us any sort of like attention, we like to say thank you very much for for showing showing us some attention and seeing that we've actually done stuff and read out what they said. So we have started posting the reviews, individual reviews. Well, when I can remember, putting the individual reviews of our films on Facebook, definitely on YouTube, but now I'm trying to put them up on Facebook as well and share them to my page and everything. So we posted uh, uh, the review that I did of Don't Look Up um, a couple of weeks ago, um, which I'm glad to see Sean agrees with me with my, with my rating. Essentially, everything that Sean said from the swimming pool, he agreed with everything that I rated. He gave exactly the same number of stars. <laughs> I think the, the only bit might have been Ghostbusters Afterlife, where I think, I, I think you and him pretty much agreed on the film or what you said, but he, I think it was on the border. I think you went three and he went four. So yeah, it was could have gone either way for me. I think. 
Yeah, sounds like it was very similar with Sean. So we put up the review of Don't Look Up and um, Mike Brownett, a friend of mine, Mike Brownett, got in touch and he put up his uh, his own review. And this is one of these weird things. That, now, Sharon, I'm going to read this out and you tell me if you think this is positing a conspiracy theory or just a theory. So Mike says, I would put this in the same category. So I would put Don't Look Up in the same category as Blair Witch Project. For Blair Witch, the film on its own was okay. But the thing that set it apart was the way it was promoted. With Blair Witch, by setting up apparently independent websites that also, that said, It's all real! The lines between film and reality dissolved, and the film became inseparable from the reception of the film. At the time, that was really new. For Don't Look Up, they took it to the next level. McKay, the director, makes a film where, when the characters scream, We're all going to die! They get told to tone the message down because it's, it's bad for ratings. I don't know how Netflix managed to orchestrate the reviews to say that the film was too obvious, but that was a stroke of genius. The whole thing went meta. I will agree with your four stars of the film itself, but the way it's promoted surely deserves five stars. Getting all those different outlets to pan the films for the same reason as DiBiaschi and Mindy got panned? Perfect. So, what do you think, Sharon? Is that a conspiracy theory in its own? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> qualified in that <coughs> they are certainly turns they are media savvy aren't they so they even though we think oh social media is generated by the people for the people it's absolutely oh, yeah. it's on, always no. been manipulated at every level more or less not from its inception but from its infancy certainly yeah, yeah. it's so it's I, it's easily manipulated yeah yeah, so I think we tend to think, you know, that oh, if it's you know if it's social media, then it's more like a generated by buzz, when in fact it's all been the seeds are sown and watered and you know propagated um, by these mega companies who have little fingers in all these pies, mixing yeah. all these metaphors as well. But, so but, yeah, but but also <laughs> at the same time, at the same time, because we're getting talking about conspiracy theories. I have met a couple of people who said, "Oh, I found this. The news is wrong. The, the, they're lying." I saw this on YouTube. That means that it's right. And uh -huh. I'm like, "What? what, what, what wait, when did this start? When? Did, but anyway, but anyway. So, so Mike's conspiracy theory is that Netflix have actually gone out there and they have manipulated the marketing of this film. So people don't actually. <coughs> I know as polarized about the film as as. We seem to think he thinks that Netflix is actually orchestrating the polarization, which means that more people are watching that the film. People talking about it, yeah. The more people talk about something, the more people they like to go. Let's well, go and see that, and then we couldn't to judge for ourselves. Yeah, but, but Whereas... see, yeah, but but that was one of the things. Okay, because I don't ascribe. I mean, while I think that what he says is entirely plausible. I think what he says there is entirely plausible and that it's all a marketing thing about this whole, oh, this film is so terrible, this film is all, oh, it's, it's uh, um, um, I don't ascribe to that. And, um, but I, because for people who say that, oh, oh, why isn't it more subtle? Why isn't it more subtle? And it, I'm like, yeah, but we've had more subtle things and they haven't created as much discussion as this. And I think the film, what he wants to do is create discussion so people talk about the issues it raises. So we see, are we going to do anything about it? And I think that that's where the film works well, does well. But anyway, enough about that. That was last week. That was old news. And Sharon still hasn't seen Don't Look Up, so she can't tell me what she thinks. So we will fire on. <coughs> and excuse my cough, by the way. I have tested myself over and over and over again. I've been told that it's not COVID. But still a cough. It is. It's, it's, yeah, it's just a cough that my daughter brought back from nursery. It has been going on for about three weeks, which I think rules out COVID anyway. And, um, and uh, yeah, it happens whenever I laugh. 
So, <laughs> like that. There you go. So, so essentially, as long as we don't amuse ourselves, this podcast, I'll be fine. Right, we'll kick off with the film Scream. Scream! And now, you might recognize that title because that was a uh, 1990, I want to say 1996. 1996 film yeah. that was released called Scream. And now we have another film called Scream. The big thing about Scream was that it was a self-referential horror. So it was a slasher movie in which the characters in the film were very, very aware of the tropes and the rules of the slasher rules movies. Of, yeah. yeah, particularly the, the rules. There's one character who used to tell you all about the rules. And, yeah, you know, Randy. If it's a standalone, if it's a trilogy, if it's, you know, yeah. all these things. Randy played by Jamie Kennedy. He was, he was brilliant. He was essentially sort of commenting. He was like, oh, yeah. This is a slasher movie. We're in a slasher movie and all that. And I remember when that when Scream came out, I never really understood when people said it was a spoof, it was a satire, because I'm kind of like the kind of person, I like my spoofs a bit more obvious, like Naked Gun. I was like, now that's a spoof. Now that's a... <laughs> and then when Scream came out, they were like, it's a spoof of slasher movies while being a slasher movie itself. And I was like, well, really? And I think it took me later on in life to actually go, oh, okay, cool. I see why I get into more subtle satire than, let's say, or it's a more subtle spoof than, let's say, a Naked Gun or anything like that. So, the so you have, it's a so it's a slasher film that comments on slasher films, and now you have, and uh, I think especially Scream Two was quite good because Scream Two was commenting about sequels the whole way through. I was talking about oh this is what happens in sequels, oh it gets bigger, and uh, especially that one, Scream Three, Scream Four didn't really pay attention. Now we have another film that's been released called Scream. The fact that you have one of the greatest slasher franchises in the world, Halloween. You now have a. You've a couple of years ago we had another film released called Halloween. <coughs> it tells you kind of what they're doing with this scream because it's it's technically Scream Five, but they just called it Scream. And this whole thing is commenting on what people call a legacy sequel, a legacy sequel, or as they call them in the film, requels, where it's not a reboot. It's kind of a sequel. You kind of have returning characters coming back from the first film. You have a and it's it's all that and it. And it goes quite meta. It comments on the whole thing about the fans demanding something and the studios trying to make a buck. A little bit like they did in The Matrix Resurrections, but this is but this is not as head-trippy as that because it's Scream and you know what to expect. And it does it quite well. For that bit, it does it quite well. However, when I said I had to watch Scream because there was nothing else in the, film, in, in the cinemas... I have gotten to the point where I just don't understand the appeal of slasher movies. I don't know. I don't know what is the appeal in watching people get killed. Because you know that you're going to have... You're going to be introduced to a bunch of characters and with Scream they make a they make a point of it that okay the the main character is always going to have a friend group and the killer is going to be among the friend group and the friend group are going to get picked off one by one so you know that these people you're seeing are going to get killed and they're going to get killed in grisly detail because that's part of the slasher thing there's going to be blood everywhere you're going to see knives going into necks and I'm just watching this going why is this entertainment (laughs) and I, 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 and I don't think I've ever really liked slasher movies. I've got to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever. I do not think that they're made for me. So, so I, I just don't understand why it's entertainment. I don't understand why people. I don't understand why there's lists on the internet of ooh the greatest kills. Why is that a good thing? Why, <laughs> why is an inventive kill a good thing? Like there's one in uh, a film called Fear Street. 
I think Fear Street 1994, which was a trilogy of films, horror films made on Netflix next, last year. Yes, I know the one, Jermaine. Yeah, and there's one big thing that everybody talks about and is, is death by bread slicer. By putting somebody's head through a bread slicer. And everybody's like, oh, 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 gnarly. And I'm like, why is that entertainment? I don't get why that is entertainment. So... So, slasher films are myself. If I can avoid them, I will avoid them. I couldn't avoid this when I went to see it. But I have to say, I think that they, the, the commentary is quite good. The commentary is quite good about what you're going to do and how they're pulling everybody in and all that. And it's almost kind of like done in a way where I would... It, I personally feel that if they made another Scream film, it would be a betrayal. Because the way this film talks about it, it kind of sort of says... This is what happens. This is what happens in the horror movie. It's stupid. It's everything like that. There's, <coughs> there's even a line within the film where it is comparing the film that you're watching negatively to some other horror films. <laughs> like one of the characters has a line where she goes, I still prefer the Babadook. And it's... And, <laughs> so it's... it's oh, so And the, the, the sort of meta way that they go about it and they're talking about it and they're, they're essentially telling you, okay, well, this is what's going to happen now. This is what's going to happen now. This is gonna... And even the reason why this has kicked off again, because Neve Campbell shows up again, Courtney Cox shows up again, David Arquette shows up again. And it's and even the reason why they why they they bring them back in, I think that they do it well enough. I think this is this is a film that is extremely respectful of the original film of the that Wes Craven did. There's 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 actually a very very subtle tribute to Wes Craven that I did not pick up, even though I'd read a review that told me that this was in there, told me what told me what scene it was in. I still did not pick it up until the end of the film. And at the end of the film, I was like, oh, oh, wow. Oh, That's oh. what that was about. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's not subtle. It's, it's not, well, it's, I think I just said it's subtle. It's in your face, but you could miss it. Let me put it that way. It's in your face, though, you, you could miss it. And there's... And at the end of the film, I was just kind of like, oh, oh my, oh no, okay, no, that's that's sweet. That is just classy. That is actually really, really classy. So all in all, Scream, oh, what would I give Scream 2022? I'm trying to sort of fight against all of my, I don't understand why this is entertainment things, <laughs> because the kills are nasty. There is blood everywhere, and Ghostface, Go, I think Ghostface is probably, is probably quite a... It's probably quite... What's the word I'm looking for? It's probably quite successful in what they're trying to do with Ghostface because I think it is an iconic design. And yeah. It is an iconic design and it does put you... It does... Oh, my God. It, 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 it stays with you. I think, I think it stays with you. Some of the kills do definitely stay with you. And although there's an, there's an actress called Mikey Robinson in this film who had me Googling and had me searching to find out if, <laughs> if Ezra Miller has a sister because... <laughs> She so looks like Ezra Miller with long hair. She, I just kept going. Is she? It almost sort of took me out. I was like, is? I was like, hang on. Is that Ezra Miller playing a woman? <laughs> I would have put it past him. I really would have put it past him. But um, yeah. So I think I will have to give Scream twenty twenty two a four. Oh. I, I think I'll have to give it a four because as I'm thinking about it, the fact that it comments on. A whole bunch of things in Hollywood, and it essentially it's a scream film, and it 
in the vein of the first screen film, it continues that and it says, we're just going to look at everything. We're going to make one of these legacy sequels and we're going to comment on legacy sequels and everything that is stupid and dumb about this type of film while making that type of film. <laughs> and we're going to have characters in the film who are going to comment on how stupid all this stuff is, like going into a basement on your own when there's a killer on the loose. <laughs> <coughs> Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Right. Well, they referenced it in the first one, wasn't it? Why are you running up the stairs instead of running out of the door? Or whatever yeah, yeah, exactly. Or and it's like, and whatever happens, never say, I'll be right back because you won't. I'll be right <laughs> back. So it, 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 it's meta on all levels. I'll give it a four out of five. All right. So that is it for Scream 2022. And now we are going to go over to Amazon Prime with a wheel of time. Now, apart from the fact that it sounds for all the world like a game show. <laughs> yeah, it becomes, makes more sense, I think, after, after well, a few episodes. Yeah, yeah I know. It, it, it just really, I mean, especially with the Amazon Prime Wheel of Time rhyming thing, it sounds for all the world like a game show. Sharon, tell us about this. Well, uh, Wheel of Time is what <coughs> you would regard as an epic fantasy. So if you think of... Um, the Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones. If you think of the, the, the archetype, um, Lord of the Rings, yep. and others, where these are things that are built on a large scale. And obviously, it's a series of books that have gone on for many years. I'm, I'm aware. I believe, I believe there's 13 of them. Yeah, they are. It's There's thousands of pages of, of backstory to this 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 film. So we are entering into this world. I don't know what the world is called. It's just where you are. And yeah. it starts off in this one particular village. It's like a mountain village. Everything looks a bit rural. Like all these epic fantasies. It's all set in like a a quasi medieval age with magic where the girls wear long dresses and the men sort of have swords and it's yeah. all a bit pre-industrial. It's normally always a pre-industrial world. Um, maybe that speaks to our nostalgia. I don't know, but they normally always are pre-industrial. Yeah, no, I figure that if if there were any more modern, do they immediately become sci-fi? Yes, because they become alternative histories or science fiction. Yes, I suppose so. Yeah, fantasy okay. tends to be, yeah. Fantasy tends to be like you know we've we've, we've never heard of a car. It's yeah, all it's horse. It's a, all horse and carriage. Yeah, it's always a pre-industrial age where they're all slightly um, agrarian. It's all like a, they, they they support themselves by agriculture or by fighting. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, we we come into this sort of like rural village where they're celebrating the the end of the harvest. So it's um and then there's always sort of the threads of mythology that we recognise. So they're celebrating Beltane, which is like one of the old English, you know, sort of celebrations at the end of the year. With all connected with the sun and all that malarkey. And so in this village, there's um. Um, this sorceress arrives called Moraine and she has been sent out on this 20-year mission. She doesn't appear to have aged. She's this sort of, you know, middle-aged, not middle-aged, sort of like a ageless woman. She's got those sort of looks that don't really are defined. And she's there with her sort of male travelling companion. And everyone, when they see her, they go, oh, it's one of those. And she's this order of, like, women who channel this this power, this this earth power. And she has come looking for their thing called the Dragon Reborn. Now, 3,000 years before, the dragon was this magical 
sorcerer who tapped into dark magic and then caused this catastrophe and everything went horribly wrong. Yeah. And they are worried about this this dragon reborn because this person has the power to either remake things into a new wonderful world or to plunge the whole world into darkness and black magic. Yeah. So they're looking for this person who is going to be either the saviour or the antichrist to use for the bottoms. Yeah. And so these these people and there's five potentials dragons in this one village so she goes to this village to, to gather up these five people to take them back to the white tower which is where this order of sorceresses live um to determine who is which one is the dragon number one yeah we, so, will, we will not call them the Bene Gesserit. no <laughs> <laughs> and they are divided into these orders where there's like the red order who like they're like their military there's the blue order and like the spies and mm -hmm. their reconnaissance. The red order, the yellow order are like the healers, and the green order are people who, um, yeah, they channeled sort of different different powers. I forget what exactly yeah. what they. Yeah, I, I mean, so 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 far, I mean, these are also tropes that sound familiar that have yes. you, you would have gotten in like different other kinds of fantasy. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, you you reviewed The Witcher season two. And yeah. it seems like you know, some of these tropes you hear are there as yeah. well. I think a lot of these books where they've been written in the last sort of 50 years, they've also like feed off each other. So you do get um, elements where you think, yeah, this is sort of like the blurring of the lines between these fantasy worlds. Mm. Especially these epic fantasies that stretch over a number of books. Yeah. Because they sort of build their own mythology and they sort of draw in all these different elements. Um, and so basically the story is it's the, the, the travels of these five people to you determine over the course of this first season which one is the Dragon Reborn. And oh. there are dark forces and light for and forces of light, and then there are people who are not quite sure which side they're on. So it largely is sort of like black hat, white so, hat. So, so what you're saying is that there, there, you're saying there's a dark side and there's a light side and there's one person in the middle who could go either way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have we heard that of one? this of, uh, and there's this there's this um you know energy that holds the world together um you know and maybe a force, a force. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and yes and there's yes and you can it can the dark side could basically fulfill all your deepest desires and it will tap into your most innermost secrets yeah and the light will um yes yeah, show you the way and let you do things so okay. Oh. It's an epic fantasy, so that's all I can really say without going into hideous <laughs> minutiae of detail. Yeah, and, and and from what I can get, with there being thirteen books and everything like this, and this being a, a multi sort of like you know million dollar TV series, there's a lot of detail that can be gone into. So uh, and yeah, and um, obviously I've been a bit sort of disparaging compared to other things. I don't mean to be disparaging. I'm just trying to say that, that this is the kind of thing it is, and there's going to be yeah. a lot of tropes. And I think what's what stands, what what st makes these things stand apart is not whether they have the tropes or not, it's but it's how well they do it and if they do anything different with it. So apart from the fact that Rosamund Pike sounds like perfect casting for the kind of character that you you mentioned, who doesn't age or anything like that, what did you think of this? Yeah, well, you know, I do like I do read epic fantasy and I do like watching it. It is one of the things if I think, oh, what's on? I look for science fiction, I look for fantasy, I look for historical drama. So I do like to, that sort of probably classic escapism when I yeah. watch um, television and film. So for me, I enjoyed it. 
it made me curious about the books, but the thought of sort of starting another 13 <coughs> series books, I'm thinking, um, look, you can't see, you can see some of the books behind me, but you can't see all of the books in this room. And I just think, if I get, if I start on another series, I'll just like one day there's going to be an avalanche and I'm just going to be <laughs> buried under this sort of massive paper. So it's, um, uh, it's like here lies Sharon Bolland. She died yes. doing what she loved. Yeah. <laughs> Death by epic fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> and the odd Regency romance. <laughs> <laughs> right, cool, so, cool. Yeah, so I can see, yeah, so it did appeal to me on those sort of different levels. So, but I would say, yes, it appealed to me. I thought it was very well done, as you would expect. They've thrown the money at this. So, mm. they're, the, they have done this, the effects have done really well. So, when they do conjure this magic, it looks quite, if you go, when you first see them, when they're doing all this, swirling their arms about, and yeah. you're thinking, you must, because we watch so many films, you can't help but slightly sort of you look at it. You can distance yourself from it a little bit. And yeah. I was thinking, when you're filming that, you must feel a real twit when you're doing <laughs> it. <laughs> and no one can see anything, because they're protected. <clears throat> and so I can't help feeling that sometimes. When I see them doing all these gyrations, I'm thinking, you must feel like a real twit when you do that. <laughs> I was actually listening to an interview earlier today um, with Lupita Nyong'o and about the three five five, and she was she was saying essentially that like yeah yeah you you feel like it it's like because they just say, oh just do something and she's like oh, I feel like an absolute idiot and then and like the and how she has to take her mind to a place where what she's doing makes sense to do yes. that it's like like there is a there's a logic behind it to actually to actually make those happen yeah so when you are drawing this light in and forming like a ball and then throwing that ball you're not just going oh i hope Wee! i've got the right side what direction that general <laughs> general direction wafted that way so taking that side i thought they had put the money into it they had put the casting were spot on i think sometimes i'm not sure whether because i haven't read the books whether sometimes the choices that some of the characters i'm thinking is that a character choice is that what the character is like or yeah. is that where i'm thinking are you a bit stiff because the character's a bit stiff or is that because the actor's a bit stiff <laughs> so occasionally there were those moments but on the whole i thought they did it really well okay yeah so i enjoyed it so i would certainly say it's definitely worth a four for your fantasy fans and that it is worth checking out and it does hold its own against you know other sort of epic fantasies i don't know if it's going to be as broadly appealing as say game of thrones because that was did like crossover into like the mass yeah audience. yeah i'm not i think this is probably a bit too <clears throat> um twiddly okay the technical term um to, to appeal to people who are not really into fantasy is their main thing um because it does have a lot of exposition about, oh, this is what this is all about. And they drop in information that you think, I've got no idea what that means, but I know it's significant for probably yeah. another well, event. But the truth is that, oh, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be as... Uh, it's going to be. I don't think it's going to have as as wide an appeal as Game of Thrones because I don't think anything is going to have as wide. No. Game of Thrones has taken that spot. Nothing is. Even the Game of Thrones sequel series that they're making this year, it's not going to do anywhere near as good as Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones has done it. People have. Yeah. I, I think people still have their fantasy fill from that. It's going to take a while before something else comes comes along. Um, but even then, I was shocked that Game of Thrones got as big as it did because the first couple of episodes is just an exposition dump. 
telling you everything about the world you live in, yeah, in explaining absolutely everything. But the books are very wordy. I mean, they're thousands plus pages each. Yeah, book. well, yeah, I would imagine that. So, how many stars would you give? Oh, you said four. I would certainly give it four. Okay, cool. Four. I think it was did it it did its job well, and it told the story as a complex, massive. Yeah, it did it well. Good yeah, stuff. So four for me. Right. Oh, so now we go back to cinemas. And Sharon, it's you again. Okay. Um, and this time you saw Licorice Pizza. Because um, A, you managed to, as I, as I said earlier, I see all the populist stuff. And you see all the indie art house stuff and all that kind of stuff. And also, you have a cinema that shows you the indie art house stuff. Because Licorice Pizza <laughs> is something I've been trying to watch, but haven't found a place to watch it. But anyway, yeah. fire away. Yeah, or I basically, I go through the list of things that we haven't reviewed yet, and I'm normally left with one film, and so I see that one. <laughs> well, I'm so, glad I left you with this and not Scream, i put it that way. So, yeah, I'm still Licorice Pizza, and it is a curious title, and it is a slightly curious film, but it has, a, it has an appeal, even though I probably would not have Licorice and Pizza in the same, you know, no, on I, the same I, day, let's just say. I have my suspicions that the title is about two things that you would never want to go together. Exactly. I think that's exactly what it does mean. And yep. so you have these two characters. You have a 15-year-old lad um, who basically looks like Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Okay, gotcha. I think that sort of mop-top hair, slightly sort of, not chubby, but slightly sort of a bigger-built lad yep. who wears white trousers with stripy shirts or a coloured shirt. So you drop him basically into the Beach Boys circa late 60s, where they haven't quite morphed into the long-haired 70s hippie thing yet. They are still on that sort of, you know, Beach Boys are cool look. Yeah. And into that, you have uh, this older girl, um, She's in the, she says she's 25, who looks like a young Barbara Streisand circa... Uh, it's not a funny girl. What's the other one she was in with Ryan O'Neill? I can't remember the name of the film. Anyway, a young Barbara Streisand. Um, yeah, yeah it, sorry, got, I'll keep, you keep talking. I'll, I'll try to find that film because you got me so thinking. She's got the now. long straight hair and she's got like a, a, quite, a quite a big, you know. There is, uh, there's a in the film, they go, she's got a very Jewish nose. So you keep on going about her Jewish nose. So. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I know that it's played by Alana Haim, who is one of the three sisters who make up the band Haim. And I never thought yeah. about the fact that she looks a little bit like Barbara Streisand, but yeah, I see it now. I see what you mean. Yeah, and her both her sisters are in the film as well, playing her sisters. Yeah. So there's all three of them are in there. And her mum and dad play her mum and dad. Yeah. <laughs> the whole the Hein family are in there. And so basically these two meet at um it's the school um the yearbook photo day where all the children who go to that school I don't suppose it's the, the is it when they graduate that they get the yearbook done or do they get it done every year? I don't know about that. America. I think it's every year. I think it's every year, oh. but it's 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 of particular um, importance to the people who graduate. Anybody yeah. in America, please let us know. Anna Bishop Yara, you're up. Yeah, because I know nothing about what a yearbook signifies or what it's all about, anyway. Yeah. But anyway, they turn up. And oh, what's up, Doc? Then. That's the film. Obviously, it's what's, what's up, up Doc. Doc. That's yeah. the one. She yeah. has a look about that. So she wears like the mini skirts. She's got the long straight hair. Mm -hmm. um, it's very much of that of that era, anyway. And so, into this, yeah, they sort of meet at this sort of. She's one of the people who's like taking the children up or the young people up to get their picture taken. And then he's having his, he's being there to have his picture taken. And he starts chatting to her saying, 
Um, you know, I think we should meet together later after you finish work. I think we should go out together. I think we should get to know each other. Blah, 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 blah. And then the film progresses in these sort of basically these little scenes where yeah. they have these different encounters with different people and at different events that are a nod um, to different films or to different celebrities of the day. So the first sort of place where you see them one of the big sort of set pieces, you find out that he's a child actor who's just now hitting his late teens. So he's like leaving that sort of school of being a child actor into trying to find what his next path is. Yeah. He's not an obvious leading man actor, so he's probably not going to carry on acting, but he still has that hope and he still goes to auditions. Yeah. And he's been part of a show called 18 Under One Roof, which is basically like a thinly veiled Brady Bunch yeah. type thing. And like you see a character who's like the mother with the big blonde hair and she's like all sweetness and light when she's on screen and then off screen she's a little bit of a termagant where she's a bit like oh, oh, and, like, um, or like like all the rumours of Julie Andrews yeah <laughs> that sort of thing so she has a screen persona and she's like the screen perfect screen mom, and then off screen she's just like she can't stand them really yeah. and then you have other people where you meet um, Bradley, you you see him have like an audition for a film. Then you meet Bradley Cooper plays John Peters, like the celebrity hairdresser, who went out with Barbara Streisand as well. And then you meet um, Sean Penn, who plays an aging heartthrob. Um, he's called Jack Holden. <laughs> so based on William Holden, because he yeah. talks about um, in being in the jungle. And so you're immediately thinking of oh, Bridge on the River Kwai. But then they say, yes, his best known film is The Bridges of so-and-so, like set in Korea. Yeah. And so there are all these nods to people of the day. And so it's all set up with these little vignettes. And throughout this story, it's like these two people who are who are not a good match. He's younger. Um, he's, you know... I don't know if he's Catholic or, but he's not Jewish. She's older, she's Jewish, she's part of this strong tradition. And so every time they come close to each other, they're like, they're sort of like they're pinging off where it's like, no, 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 we're obviously not meant to be a boyfriend, girlfriend. So, and then another incident happens where they either get drawn together or they get like put apart. Yeah. So it's almost like magnetic poles. So if they're, obviously they can retract, they can attract, but they can also like ping apart if you get the yeah. poles yeah. into line. And so as you see these, them sort of coming in together through different points of the film, you see these where they're, where they're trying to align and it doesn't quite work out. And then so, yeah, it progresses through the story. So he's licorice and she's pizza. Yes. <laughs> oh. yeah, all the other way around. <laughs> so, okay, so a lot of stuff I've heard about this film says that um, plot is not really a main thing in this no, film. it's not really a story as such. They've just got these little scenes so, and they're loosely linked together. So like the one scene he's um, selling waterbeds, for yeah. example. And then another scene they are um, she's at a country club with William Holden's actor while he's trying to reenact one of his famous scenes from one of his films. <laughs> so there's nothing that really links these things together other than these two characters that navigate their way through this this world <laughs> so okay cool so with that being said um do you think it worked for me it did yes i mean it's sort of because by the end of the film i was thinking this film could go on forever <laughs> I mean, potentially they could keep on having these this sort of like these meetings these partings these meetings these parties and i thought potentially you could just keep going forever 
So after about two and a half hours, I was thinking, is this film actually going to end? <laughs> I enjoyed it, but I could see that it was this... You're like, you're like there's no inciting incident, there's no discernible three-act structure, there's no climax, there's no MacGuffin. That... <laughs> yes. So there's just... nothing to indicate that the film's coming to an end. No, until it ends, and it's like, going, okay, that's it. And it did work, I thought it did work well, but it, you have to, if you're looking for... Your, as you say, your classic three acts, you're not going to get it. So you have like, it's like a five act play with each of these sort of vignettes where you get like the 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 drama is it unfolds within each particular setup. Yeah. So you've got like when he's auditioning, you've got like a little setup about that. Then you've got when you there's waterbed thing, and then yeah. you've got the William Holden thing, and then you've got the you know sort of the mad hairdresser, the Lothario hairdresser. Yeah, who could be Warren Beatty in shampoo? Or oh yeah, be, yeah, yeah. He could be a little, you know. <laughs> it's he's a little bit like anyway. There's sort of things that rem- it, it's very nostalgic in that they remind you of lots yes. of other films throughout. Yeah. So, yeah, I hear. Me, I think it, a lot of it is based um, on the director's childhood. Yeah, so like it does have that sort of not rambling because you could see there's like this. The purpose is to bring these people together, to separate them, to bring them together, separate them from each other. And so you have this sort of, yeah, this sort of string of linked events. So to me, I liked it because I don't mind the odd quirk and the odd, um, it do what it reminded me of, not in terms of plot or content, it reminded me a little bit of Rushmore. Oh, oh yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, Rushmore is a film that famously... Or well, I don't. I say famously. It's not like I'm famous or anything like that. But regularly, um, what happens is I meet people and I'm like, I'm not such a big fan of Rushmore. People are like, oh, I really like Rushmore. <laughs> and I, I'm always getting that. I feel like I'm the only person who I, I'm just the one who didn't get Rushmore. But yeah, yeah. But I, I can see that. But I can see. So if that sort of thing appeals then I think this would appeal so I like Rushmore and I like things like the Grand Budapest Hotel which is the, the other Anderson so I like that so I I did like this um, as you say there's no high points there's no low points it's, it's this journey it sort of meanders yeah. <laughs> rather than goes up and down it goes up and side to side so I but I did appeal to me and I did enjoy it so I think again the actors are He's sort of quite, he's awkward, he's confident, he's brash, and then he's also insecure. So he's just typical, like, sort of, he's coming into manhood, isn't he? He's sort of living in this sort of secure childhood where he was like a child actor when he was like a big fish in a little pond. And he's now suddenly having to transition into this adult world. Whereas she's felt like she's been held back, that she's never really done anything. And suddenly been meeting this young man. He's got all the dyna- dynamism, the ambition that she sort of lacked as being like the youngest daughter. She's yeah. been at home with a very strict family. Um, she's found that she's 10 years older, but she's probably not as experienced in some ways as he is. Yeah. So you can see how this sort of mix, this opposites have got something that works as a, as a relationship. The way that we shouldn't do. But no, so I liked it. So I would, again, I think we're going to be a little bit consistent here with our scoring. But I would give it a four myself. Okay, so four stars for Licorice Pizza. Now, um, this is a section of the show that I think I might just call the Will Nicklin section because um, 
the we have our superfan Nina, who was obviously one of the people who was like, "Where's Sean? What have you done with him? What have you monsters done with Sean?" And <laughs> bring him back to me. Yeah, bring him back. I need some more Sean in my life. Um, <laughs> and her, her husband Will is a. Uh, he doesn't particularly like veggie films, but he saw the trailer for Licorice Pizza and he was like, he was like, "Ooh, are you going to see Licorice Pizza, Tozin? What do you think about it?" Because uh, he, he's he, his words were, "I'm not, I'm, I'm not a big cinema goer, but this is actually has me intrigued." And he also mentioned the next thing that we're going to be talking about, which is The Tourist, because yeah. he's been watching that, and because of him, I thought, okay, maybe I'll give this a go because it's this is a six part, uh, six part um, TV series on BBC iPlayer, uh, starring Jamie Dornan. And um, it's essentially Jamie Dornan being this guy who he he's actually playing Irish this time, which is pretty cool. I quite like when he plays. Yeah, yeah. He's um, so is this Irish dude in the Australian outback, and stuff happens. Is and I didn't want to watch this because I kind of felt like I knew where it was going to go. But um, he, but he, but I was like, okay, fine. Everybody's talking about this and making a big deal about it. Let me watch it. Let me see where there's good. And this kicks off with him in the outback, and he's in this sort of like old beat up car. He's in the middle of nowhere because it's the outback, and he um, stops at a petrol station, pays for some fuel, drives off, and then all of a sudden, this big, massive, sort of like ten ton truck starts following him, and it is like something out of of the Steven Spielberg film Duel. Where essentially car going along, being chased by this massive truck, trying to run them off the road, stuff happens, and then he wakes up in a hospital. He wakes up in a hospital, and he cannot remember who he is. He can't remember who he is, why he's there, what's going on, and a local police officer who's actually a traffic uh, a traffic police woman, but wants to be more, comes along to, and she's just been assigned because nobody really cares about him. They're like, oh well, it's not that big a deal, to find out everything about him, and so. She, you, you kind of get that there's the, that she might be a bit inexperienced when she gives him money to go to some truck stop where he that he found the address in his pocket to try and figure out who he is. So a large part of this is him trying to figure, trying to trace his steps back and figure out who he is. But there's a thriller element because it turns out that he might not have been uh, a particularly nice person, or he might have been in, involved with some not particularly nice people. And over the six episodes, you start, like, you know, you find out little by little, this what happens. And we're going to trace this back. This is what you got. Oh, there's this random phone number in a koala. What are we going to do with this? Phone? And all of a sudden, it rings, and someone's going to, like, pick up the phone. And then, oh, you've got to go here, and I've got to go there, and I'm going to try and retrace my steps. I'm trying to figure out who it was. And why is this international drug thief after me? And and so it's all these different things that's almost a bit of a shaggy dog thing. Who's who? Who can I trust? Who's saying what? I'm trying to put together, like, you know, a picture of who I was. And I've, I've heard it referred to as Memento Light. And some okay. of it, yeah, some of it works well. Some of it works well because there is a character called Lucy who who he meets, who just sort of, like, starts helping him out. And it's like, okay, actually, who is she? Is, is she just somebody who's just bored in a, in a small Australian town? And wants to sort of like just come along because he's the most interesting thing that she says. Or is there more to it? And they, for me, there were bits of it that, as it was going along, and as they were putting twists in and plot twists and all that, and I was, I was just watching, going, okay, okay, fine, fine, keep going. But what is really going to make this thing stick is the ending. If you have at the end a satisfying explanation for all this stuff, then you have a good show. If you don't have a satisfying explanation, 
then all you have is just you've just been doing putting in twists for twists' sake to <laughs> pass time six for six episodes. Yeah, yeah, for six episodes, and then we get to the end. And I don't quite think that they have the end done right. I mean, the final scene of it is kind of like a ooh, that's ooh. This is not this is not comfortable Sunday evening viewing. Like the final scene of it is actually it is it's kind of quite wow. Okay, that's that's a weird note to end on. But um, but there's still bits of it that I'm I'm thinking back to it now, and I'm thinking, well, hang on, if that happened, how about that? Why did that happen? Why did she say that? Why did he do? What happened when it did? No, no, but okay, okay, I understand that happened then. But you told me that happened then. What was he doing there in the first place? And there's just bits of it that don't quite add up. And it feels like they just put somebody there because they needed somebody to be there for this to happen. And okay. yeah, uh, and like the, there's there's one particular character, there's one particular character who shows up in a place. And from the time he shows up, you kind of go, okay, cool, that means that he's this kind of character. And he ends up being that kind of character. And I'm sorry for being very vague. I'm just trying to avoid spoilers. This might make no sense. He ends up being that kind of character. But the inciting incident that makes him that kind of character doesn't happen until after he originally showed up. Then I'm like, but if that happened then, why did he originally show up? It doesn't make any sense. Because people in the in the, in the the story keep saying, why are you, oh, why is he here? Why is he here? Why is he here? And it's... But so there, there's issues with it. There's issues with it. There's some good characters. I think Daniel McDonald, who you will know from Dumpling. I remember you. Yes, I like her from Dumpling. Yes, yes, she's in. She plays the she plays the police officer who's trying to be something more. And uh, yeah, she's she's good. But, but then again, I think she's good in everything. I think Jamie Dornan is good in it. He plays like he his he's believably sort of clueless as to what the heck's going on and then but when things turn around and he shows that he might not have been the nicest guy he's also believably not nice <laughs> and there's even a bit there's a bit this show goes all over there's a bit where you have an lsd trip there's a place that you have with a scorpion and an oil barrel that is a bit claustrophobic and so so it there and i think one of the good things i like about it is the fact that it's the kind of story that you know, you might have seen set in America, but the fact it's set in, in the outback, that is a big part of the appeal of this show, is that mm. it's in the Australian outback. That's a big part of the appeal. Not so much the story. Not so much the story. That, I don't find that... I did not find it satisfying. I would have to give this a three out of five, and most okay. of that would really be because of the setting, the tone that I really liked, but the story, I thought was a bit of a letdown. So... That is three out of five stars for the Jamie Dornan starring the tourist. Jamie Dornan and a whole bunch of great, great Australian people. So, <laughs> any idea about who's won this week? Netflix or cinema? Well, where were you better served? We had 4443. Four, four, so, <laughs> according to my calculations, that's eight cinema. Yes. And not eight uh, for home viewing. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. We have. Cinema, cinema has has pulled out the stops on a good week, has given us a good week, which is good because it's been it has been really slow since Christmas, so yeah. slow. I mean, it's it's people are talking about oh you know uh, people are they're they're worried about uh, uh, maybe another COVID spike. I don't think that I think people are just running scared from Spider Man No Way Home. They <laughs> they're just they're yeah, just they're saying just clearing the decks. Yeah. They're like going, oh, there is just no oxygen out there. Nobody's watching anything but that film. Avoid. 
Avoid! <coughs> Avoid! Abort! Move it somewhere else! Cyrano, move it! Morbius, move Actually, for Morbius, I say don't even bother. Don't even bother releasing that film. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, they're moving a whole bunch. So it's good that we're beginning to get other things out in the cinema because I was just kind of like, oh, let's see what's in the cinema. Oh, Scream is the only thing I have. Oh, rubbish. I guess I have to go watch Scream now. I have to go watch, yeah. get, go watch people get killed. For no good reason as entertainment. All right, I'm cool. with you on that one. I haven't. I'm not. I don't sort of buy into the whole. I, well, I'm just watching a drama that I'm hoping to review soon called Soldados or Zombies. It's a Mexican zombie soldiers. Yes. Zombies. <laughs> zombies. Oh, I think it's called Soldiers or Zombies. Oh, so um, okay, so, okay, go. Cool. Soldados or, or I think it's or Zombies. Okay. All right. Soldiers or Zombies, and I'm just starting to watch that, which is like American and Mexican film, um, television series. And so I don't mind that sort of thing, but I'm not keen on your slashes, your horrors, your let's do nasty things to people who don't didn't do anything. To yeah, them. yeah. Well, you say, okay, okay. Zombies, no. Okay, oh, zombies. Yeah, fine. Uh, okay, okay. I think I've figured it out that would actually be really interesting. Ooh. Imagine if you had a, a vampire slasher movie where somebody was walking around killing vampires, but from the but from the point of view of the vampires, and they're like, "Oh, we don't know who it is. Oh my God, there's someone killing it. that." That might actually be quite. I cool. have seen a film like that with Alexander Skarsgård. Really? Yeah. What film was that? Oh, it's a very it's a very obscure one where they live in these underground bunkers. It's a spoiler, but who knows? It's years old. There's <laughs> a family that live in this bunker, and all these sort of black clad figures are like after them, and they're just like, oh, they're terrifying, and they're all stay away from those horrible people. And it turns out that basically, Alexander and his family are the vampires. Or they're the zombies. They're infected by this whatever disease it is. Oh. And the men in black, who are are basically humanity, trying to wipe out the the nasties. Okay. And okay. you see Sharon. it all from their point of view. Okay, Sharon, we're gonna keep that between you and me. You're gonna keep that between you and me. Don't tell anybody that that was the case because I'm gonna go pitch this to some people. And if they've never seen that film, we could make a mint. <laughs> we, we could make a mint. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Go on to so next week, on which I'm gonna go find. If, going to scroll the inter, uh, going to troll the internet and try and scrub all traces of an Alexander Skarsgård movie that already has a plot that I just thought about. I think it's, it's Andrew Riseborough in it as well as his wife. Okay, let's go find those people and get rid of them. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a goodbye from me, and it's a goodbye from me, and uh, goodbye from Sean, who is I don't know, sunning himself somewhere. Yeah, he's My, still snoozing past his. He was going to set his alarm and join us, but he's obviously hit snooze and. Yeah, he's had he's had such a long day floating in the pool. That that really, really does take it out of you. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Bye. See ya.